This is The Legal Impact, a podcast presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs? Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead, and today I'm joined by Professor Stan Kowalski, Director of the International Technology Transfer Institute, also known as ITTI. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, AJ. It's great to see you again and work with you. So in a recent article in Nature, they covered the work of John Carlyle, who's part of Great Britain's NHS, which is their government health institute. Uh, he looked at the topic of fake and flawed research data in the journal Anesthesia. This is a quote from Nature, quote, For more than 150 trials, Carlyle got access to anonymized individual participant data by studying the IPD spreadsheets, he judged that 44% of these trials contained at least some flawed data. Impossible statistics, incorrect calculations, or duplicated numbers or figures, for instance. And 26% of the papers had problems that were so widespread that the trial was impossible to trust, he judged, either because the authors were incompetent or because they had faked their data, end quote. And then adding into this, Stanford's president, Mark Tessier-Levine, is stepping down on August 31st. It was unveiled he had decades of research that he refused to correct. I'll post a link to both the Stanford Daily's article covering that and as well as the Nature article in the episode description at law.unh.edu slash podcast. I mean, Stan, overall, when you look at research as a whole, how much of a problem is flawed data appearing in these final products that are ending up in journals, libraries, and everything like that? I don't think it's an overwhelming problem. I think it is a problem in some areas of research. And I and I read the article in the Stanford Daily about uh, President Tessier Lavigny, I think his name is, uh, and the problems he's having. Now, when you look at that article, you'll note that his research was in the cutting-edge area of uh, Alzheimer's disease and the neurological basis of, of Alzheimer's disease. Now, think about it. That's highly cutting-edge research. It's highly topical. It makes him into a quasi-celebrity, at least, or a celebrity. Uh, so you see all these factors come together. And what that does then is creates a high pressure atmosphere in the laboratories to generate the data which support that proposition. So in other words, it's like the reverse of the scientific process where we do experiments in order to make a determination and then we make a conclusion from the experimental research. This is almost like I have reached a conclusion, do experiments to verify my conclusion uh, in order for me to become famous. Uh, and you'll note too that the um, articles published in Nature and Science, which are the highest ranked journals in the entire field. Uh, so I don't believe this is anything new uh, because uh, this had been going on when I first started doing research in biochemistry, there were stories there was a scandal which came out of uh, Cornell uh, in the early 80s, similar to uh, this. It wasn't a prominent scientist, but it was a, a postdoc or a graduate student. Activities were uncovered in terms of fraud. So it, it is a problem, but I think overall the uh, scientific endeavor is sound, but 
still in all, uh, it can be a problem. Do you think this is more of a problem with at the like journal level where people are like there many people brought up the issues when it comes to how how these science journals operate and we're going to dive into that can of worms right now but the, the desire to be published and needing to have the right headline and things like that maybe could have a uh, an impact yes and, and there's there's multiple factors working here uh, once again let's go back to the the drama coming out of stanford as example you have high-impact research, which could have uh, significant potential, uh, both in terms of the ego of the uh, principal investigator, who I presume at this at, was President Mark uh, Tessier-Lavagne from Stanford. Uh, and so the idea, the, the problem is that then they want to publish in high-impact journals such as Science or Nature, which increases the pressure to generate results which will verify uh, their theory, for example, the neurological basis of uh, Alzheimer's disease, which would be a fantastic scientific breakthrough. However, it, it becomes um, a spiral, and apparently the laboratory is a pressure cooker where those with, with data which support that proposition are favored and those who do not produce data to support that proposition were disfavored according to the Stanford article. So it becomes a cycle. And I believe it's really the principal investigator who has to step forward and say, I'm here to do this to find out what's going on instead of to instead of to establish what I want to be the truth. So we find the truth versus I want this to be the truth, therefore it is the truth. And the, the sad thing is, uh, eventually somebody finds out, as we saw in this article, that it, it is non-verifiable data. Uh, and that's where this uh, house of cards begins to collapse. Um, it's, it's, AJ, it's almost like a system problem, where there's a system where uh, superstar scientists pressure people in the lab who are rewarded when they find the right thing so that the superstar scientist can publish the science of nature and then become somebody who discovers the neurological basis for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and then they become a, a great person. Unfortunately, this has been going on for a long time, but an additional caveat to this is nowadays with the whole social media, internet world, I believe it may be uh, amplified uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the rock star scientist that's also getting the, this scientific journal uh, article reshared by the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, like you start hitting that end of things. I mean, it only makes you look even bigger it, it gets you those those high-end like the uh, Stanford president role like things like that which are very lucrative and give you even more respect which doesn't necessarily shift down the pressures that are required to maintain it yes you're right and it goes to the egos and uh, when I I did 20 years of biochemistry research and uh, there were people like that I knew people like that at that time who uh, and I thought to myself if you want to be famous, you're in the wrong business. Why aren't you in show business? That's where you get to become famous, not science. But still in all, they have that mindset. Uh, for example, I had one scientist say to me, you know, my, my dream is to have my name in lights in nature or science. And I thought to myself, that's an odd way of looking at things. 
But then that mindset then begins to generate this kind of atmosphere and the pressure is from the top to bottom. And then there's additional pressure because there's funding. In other words, we have to find results to satisfy NIH or NSF who's ever funding this research. Uh, and there are, there are shades of data which are uh, either unreliable, unverifiable, or they may be outright fraud. So, uh, for example, there could be a series of experiments where there's always a question like, this could be A or B, but we just want it to be B, and we won't test A again and again to make sure that we're right. Uh, so there's various shades of this kind of problem. Thankfully, science, science is, to a great extent, is an iterative process, and also it's competitive. Uh, so the comp competition can be good and bad. In this case, with Stanford, the competition had a bad effect because I believe the attitude of the president was, I'm going to beat everybody. I'm going to win. Uh, but the competition can be good because other scientists can say, well, let's take a closer look at what you have. That's uh, like a two-sided coin as well. Now, this is, this is a legal podcast, so we've been talking about the science end of it, which obviously is supremely important. I mean, um, it, when it comes to the intellectual property realm, where with your Tech Transfer Institute definitely is, is extremely important, I mean, what are the downstream impacts of things like this coming to light? I, I mean, do you think, you said before that you don't, you, it doesn't appear to be as widespread an issue as it looks like in some specific scientific magazines, but how much of an issue is this on the IP realm when things like this come up? The article touches on that because uh, apparently uh, the president or, and or some of his colleagues were also involved in startup companies, which uh, will take an experiment. For example, the presumed neurological basis of Alzheimer's disease. And um, let's, let's speculate. Let's do what's called a thought experiment in law school. Let's speculate that it's flawed or it's fraud, uh, and then they go to the next step and file a patent application on this so-called discovery, and then it goes a step further to the USPTO, uh, where uh, now you're dealing with the United States Patent and Trademark Office with a quote-unquote invention, um, which may or may not exist. So that's at another level. In a legal journal, it's more of an ethical problem or an employment issue problem, maybe the legal aspect of it that he's facing employment. Or there may be contractual issues with the funding. But then when we move to the patent office, then it's us and the patent office, which is the government of the United States. And we're saying, well, we have an invention, we've reduced it to practice, but it's not real. <laughs> See what I mean? So we've got problems there. Well, then it goes the next step. What happens then if the tech transfer office uh, begins to sell equity shares on this? It all begins, in my mind, it all begins to look a little bit Elizabeth Holmes-ish, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, and that, that, that becomes pretty scary in terms of uh, the, the potential for uh, legal action. <laughs> 
how do ethics work when it comes to these? Because mo most major universities, the University of New Hampshire included, has uh, as research as part of what they do, especially on the STEM side of things. How are ethics managed when it comes to the sale of the IP that comes up from these research uh, projects? I think the Technology Transfer Office is is not really able to evaluate the scientific integrity of uh, a lot of the intellectual property it comes across. So I think it, a lot of it has to do with the um, integrity and the reputation of the laboratory that generating the results. And this, this becomes established over time. Um, this, this business in Stanford appears to have been uh, 20 years in the making off and on. From a practical standpoint, a technology transfer office is well advised to talk to people in laboratories who are not the principal investigator in order to get a feel for what's really going on in here. Because if you read this article from the Stanford Daily, uh, they were people in the lab accusing each other of this type of activity. And the principal investigator was President Mark, was apparently not there or he didn't want to know, sort of selective ignorance. So that's the problem. So the management of the intellectual assets by the TTO means that, well, let's just have a chit chat with people in the lab. And then a, a good businessman, a good TTO manager will begin to say, um, okay, uh, what's going on? It's just a matter of being a uh, good listener. I mean, that's practical advice on how to begin to sort this out. And I, and I think that the labs which have integrity and are trustworthy, which are most of them actually, uh, will, will be identified. I'm just with the thought experiment, I'm speculating like a worst case scenario uh, where let's just imagine, once again, Elizabeth Holmes, if she's a scientist, she wasn't. She, I think she had like a, maybe a college degree, maybe she didn't. But if she was an investigator, her quote-unquote invention, if it went all the way through uh, to a patent and to a license and to equity, then it, it could be quite a, you can imagine, it could be quite a, quite a series of lawsuits. Uh, and I don't know who would be on the hook in that type of problem. So I think the TTO, the Technology Transfer Office, as a manager, would have a role in managing these intellectual assets to determine their, uh, the integrity of them based on a number of factors, including having someone in there who's a very savvy business person running the technology transfer office. This is what business people do. They size people up. Yeah, and going off your, your thought experiment also, I mean, I would imagine the it gets more and more difficult to confirm the research for some of these more let's just call them sketchy <laughs> labs that aren't necessarily doing what they're supposed to. When you're talking, especially with Alzheimer's research, where you're talking something over decades when it comes to seeing whether the treatments do anything, and then you're talking, there's a drug that was, I believe, brought to market just a month or two ago where it gave like a like a 3 to 10% chance of improving your odds of, of encountering Alzheimer's disease or the symptoms of it. It, it must be very hard to kind of make sure that things are on the up and up with these less than savory organizations. Well, uh, yeah, and it, well, yeah, one, well, one cannot uh, prevent every uh, problem with any kind of fraudulent uh, data or uh, not only fraudulent data, uh, data that is um, more questionable. Uh, 
It can't, it can't be prevented, but uh, once again, science is, is uh, competitive both in the, in the good and the bad sense of the word. In the bad sense of the word, as I said, uh, egotistical uh, principal investigators may wish to become uh, rock stars and celebrities, which is, is a problem. Uh, but on the other hand, it's competitive because there are labs who compete against them who want to win. And eventually, who wins will be the one with the data that can be uh, substantiated. And, um, and if industry gets involved, you, you can be really quite sure that industry is once solid data uh, because it's, it's a different game they're playing there uh, with investors and uh, the bottom line. So uh, the, the system works itself out. So this article in Stanford, in a way, is troubling, but also it's encouraging because this has come out and it's being uh, investigated and dealt with, uh, as, uh, as other instances have as well in the past. It's a system, but it's not a perfect system, as all systems are. Well, I just want to mention that you had asked with uh, international development and research, uh, this type of work would have very little impact on international development and science because the types of innovations that uh, developing countries are looking for are really established products and, and innovations which have gone through multiple testing and research so that this type of thing would not have much of an impact uh, on um, technology transfer of innovation to developing countries. Uh, this appears to be more really cutting edge um, new research, which has the potential to um, make somebody um, famous or maybe rich, uh, rich and famous, uh, feed uh, an ego. Um, so it's not uh, mundane. Just as a caveat, there's probably always someone in a lab somewhere who just thinks, well, I'll just make it up and get by. The principal investigator is always to keep a close eye on people and make sure that there's integrity and, and repli replicability in the data. Professor Stan Kowalski, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help support word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcasts.